From the food we eat, the air we breathe, the land we dwell, to the health of our body and mind, and the well-being of all things in the universe. Unlock the science with Chula Radio Plus. From the snow peaks of Tibetan Prato to the large tropical shores of South China Sea runs one of the world's mightiest rivers, Mekong. Welcome to Unlock the Science. I'm Lawan Jira Suladet. Mekong River is our topic today. Over 4,900 kilometers of her course, the river flows through the heartland of ancient civilizations, nurturing unique and complex ecosystems and feeding more than 60 million people in six Asian countries. Here is the story about the wonders of Mekong, the 12th longest river on the planet and the major bloodline of Southeast Asia. The legend told us that there are mythical creatures residing in Mekong River, especially the Naga, the giant horn snake. Local people worship Naga as a god of rivers who provide necessary rain and water for the agrarian society of Mekong region. As the habitat of Naga, Mekong River is revered by people along its course as a sacred place and is considered as a birthplace of life, hence the name Mekong or Mother Kong in local languages. The river has its seasonal rhythm. Its water level normally rises and floods the low-lying riverbanks in the rainy season from May to October and then recedes back, exposing large sandy strands in the dry months from November to April. People of Mekong River have adapted their livelihood to the rhythm of its seasonal changes. They will farm in wet seasons and fish in the river in dry season. Due to the interval of seasonal flood and drought, lands along the Mekong are fairly fertile and ideal for agriculture. There's no need for farmers to use chemical fertilizer, as the lands are naturally enriched with nutrient sediment during flooding season. According to Open Development Mekong, an independent and open data source about Mekong region countries, the lower Mekong countries produced more than 100 million tons of paddy rice in 2017, while the most productive part of the river at Mekong Delta in Vietnam provides up to one-fourth of Vietnam's total agricultural produce every year. Mekong River also harbors varieties of ecosystems and is the great source of freshwater fish. According to the World Wildlife Fund, Mekong River possesses the highest fish biodiversity, second only to the Amazon River. At least 1,100 freshwater species swim in the waters of this great river, including the last remaining population of the Irrawaddy dolphin in Cambodia, giant freshwater stingray, which can weigh up to 140 kilograms, and the Mekong giant catfish, the largest freshwater fish in the world. Because of the riches of Mekong River, the region is ranked as the world's biggest inland freshwater fisheries. Mekong River alone accounts for up to 25% of the global freshwater catch, while fish from the river is also the major source of affordable protein for millions of poor people in the region. 
The Mekong River Commission, a regional intergovernmental organization, has estimated that around 2.3 million tons of fish are caught from the Mekong River annually, with a worth of up to 17 billion U.S. dollars a year. Inland fishery in the Mekong River and its tributaries make up about 2.4% of the combined GDP of Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand. The Mekong River Commission is an intergovernmental organization consisting of the four countries of Lower Mekong, which are Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand. With such treasure of the river, it's no doubt that Mekong River Basin has been the cradle of many sophisticated civilizations since the ancient time. Today's episode of Unlock the Science is joined by Premrudi Daorung, founder and coordinator of Project Sevana Southeast Asia, a Bangkok-based non-governmental organization working on environmental and social issues in Mekong region. Premrudi is an experienced environmental campaigner and expert on the Mekong region. Our reporter, Brad Ruchitwanarom, talks to her on the importance of Mekong River to life and cultures of people in Mekong region. What are the importance of Mekong River for the people in Mekong region? For the people, uh, specifically, I think maybe we can uh, divide how the Mekong importance to them into two parts. I think the first part and the very deep part is I think Mekong is a uh, kind of the source of life, which I think is mean that there are so many people, right, in this region, in mainland Southeast Asia, that born uh, along the river, you know, and under the shade of the Mekong Basin. You know? And of course, um, they see the Mekong from the beginning, right? and they have learned their own culture, be in their community, you know, which is, you know, uh, under the you know influence of the Mekong itself, so I think I might we might call it is is the origin of the life of so many people in this region. And the second part, of course, Mekong and the resources of the river is the source for the subsidiary, you know, kind of subsistence life of the people. Not only fish, right, but also the vegetation, the land, the forest in the river, in the basin is also meaning a lot to the people and is continue for since whenever, right? So I think uh, this is you know it, if you, if we are the one who live along the river, I think the meaning of the Mekong to them is it it's very deep. You know? It's for us who are not the members of the community along the Mekong might not be able, we might not be able to describe that yeah. so detail, I think. How Mekong River shape culture and livelihood of the people in the Mekong region? I think the so-called the, the culture and the yeah. livelihood is, of course, is linking to one another directly, right? As mm-hmm. uh, you might think about the culture of the fishing community, the, the fishermen, you know, along in the Mekong River, right? They have their own ritual, right? The way they use the river, they worship the Mekong or the river and they link themselves to one another. Not not only one country, like, like the fishermen in Thailand, in Laos together, or even crossing, 
you know, the area, for example, the northeastern Thailand trade their salt with the uh, uh, fish in Tolesap in Cambodia, for example. So I think uh, the relationship through the, the, I mean, their old relationship with the river is very important. It's, it's really built the, the relationship among the people in the region as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. I have learned that the people of Mekong River live by the rhythm of the river and change of the season. Could you explain more or give me the example of this uh, phenomenon? Um, I, we, have, we just have the discussion about this and one thing that I have heard from the local community person, which I think is very interesting, is that um, um, we never afraid of the drought and the flood of the Mekong as long as it is a natural one. Which I think this is very true, and I think this explains a lot, because um, you know the flood in Tolesap or at in the Mekong Delta, for example, happen. You know when it happened naturally, it just looked like you cannot, you cannot resist it, right? And the, but people adapt, you know, um, their own culture of agriculture and the the way they live, uh, because of that, um, you know, during the season. The, the dry and the flood season, and um, without you know the re- I mean the natural of the Mekong, for example, if you don't have the big flood, you know the Mekong cannot push itself into Tolesap. So we we don't have the most the richest Great Lakes of the Tolesap in Cambodia, right? And if we don't have enough. Uh, Flood, you know, the Mekong Delta cannot divide itself into nine-tailed dragon and really feed the area to be the most important rice-growing area, for example. So I think the point is not about, um, you know, the river itself, but how you know uh, the people can live with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we can say that uh, the people of Mekong River. Have developed their way of life and their culture according to the nature of the river for thousands and thousands of years. Is of that course, correct? Of course, yeah. What make Mekong River special in your opinion? Um, I might not be able to use the word special, right? I mean, yeah, but maybe unique in the sense of this is not the river of only one country, right? It's flow through six country and. You know the different part of the Mekong play different role, right? You have you know the Tolesap, uh, the Delta, and which can represent the heart and you know the arms and the you know um, kind of um, brain of the Mekong, and you cannot cut any part of the river, right? I mean, if you do something in the upstream of the river, it can really affect downstream. You know, something that happened upstream in China can affect the delta immediately. I mean, not immediately, but you know, it really make the people in the delta mm-hmm. say that because the upstream people have done this. So I think, I mean, the the fact of Mekong is owned by so many people. It's make Mekong very unique and very important in a sense. Yeah. It's very interesting to to hear that Mekong River is it's it's just like an organism. Every every part of it is 
connecting to each other and have a impact on each other, right? Sure, mm-hmm. and I think it is. It's it's pretty sad, no? That I mean, right now, what happening in the Mekong, is happen when we don't know enough about the river because, for example, we know that a very valuable fish can can come to one spot in Cambodia, but we never know where it is come from mm. and which season it will come, right? So it's come from the upstream. We don't know what, what is the place, that the, the spawning place. So we still have to learn about the river. In what is happening now? What do you think is the imminent threat to the Mekong River? I think, yeah, basically we have... Our state, you know, the business group from inside and outside of the region, I mean, think that the Mekong, you have to serve them, you know, I mean, more or less take it for granted, right, that the Mekong can serve, maybe more than Mekong can really do, you know, for example, especially for the issues like hydropower dams, you know, and I think, you know, the misunderstanding about the nature of the Mekong can really, you know, make the river, um, change and that really affects so many people right for the benefit that I don't think is worth at all and I think it's happening in so many aspects you know in the basin and I think that became the real threat to the river and also the people of the of the Mekong as well. We will take a short break now. You are listening to Unlock the Science on Chula Radio Plus. The reaches of Mekong River do not provide sustenance to people along the river only, but they are also attracting many big transnational corporations to invest in large-scale development projects in exploiting the river's bountiful resources. Therefore, the Mekong region has gone through rapid changes along its course over the recent decades. As the river has been increasingly used for navigation, hydropower generation, and other development schemes. Since as early as the 1960s, the year-round flow of Mekong River has been seen as a great potential source for power generation. Opal Development Mekong has mentioned that Mekong River has the capacity to generate 30,000 megawatts of electricity for the region, hence the beginning of hydropower development boom along the river. Currently, there are over 120 dams, both small and big ones, being planned for the tributaries of Mekong River. Another 11 large-scale hydropower dams are slated for the lower Mekong mainstream, which are able to generate over 13,000 megawatts of hydropower. With the rising demand for water resources control and management to ensure smooth operation on hydropower dams, the water management on this international river that flows through six countries is become more and more complicated. Even though there is already the Mekong River Commission as a primary regional panel to oversee water politics and resources management over the Mekong River since 1995, the contests for water are still increasingly intense. We are pleased to welcome Assistant Professor Dr. Carl Middleton, Director of Center for Social Development Studies at the Faculty of Political Science, Jualongkorn University, to discuss the complex issue of water politics in the Mekong region, 
especially at a time when China is exerting an increasing influence here. What is the importance of Mekong River in terms of geopolitics in Mekong region? I mean, the first thing to comment, I think, is that the Mekong connects together all six countries, um, and that water is incredibly important to society across the basin. So, whether we're talking about the fact that water is the basis of life, um, or water, and we're saying both for people but also for other living things. Um, water and the river is also very important to look the communities that live along it. Uh, whether we're thinking about uh, food security or people's local livelihoods and the local economy, but then also in terms of the geopolitics, aside from these um, local benefits and like the values to life, um, the Mekong River is also seen as important to uh, national and the regional economy. So, in terms of hydropower and trade, including through navigation. And uh, providing water for large-scale agriculture as well, and then perhaps also we can say that the river is important to culture and identity across the region in a, in a div diverse range of ways. Um, so, in terms of the geopolitics, given that the river is so valued by different people within the basin, um, it has to be shared somehow, and it requires cooperation between states. But when it's um, when the sharing is seen as inequitable, it can also lead to conflict as well. So that's kind of the the foundation, I think, of uh, at least the regional geopolitics. And then in, you know that that raises questions then of well, with these potential areas of cooperation, but also conflict, how will the river be shared? Mm -hmm. So um, it means uh, to think about the idea of transboundary governance and accountability, and I think. Often, that's in, geopolitics is interpreted as cooperation between states or tensions between states. But I think really important for the geopolitics of the Mekong region is also the accountability between states and people as well. I have seen that uh, during the recent years, there is uh, a lot of hydropower investment in uh, Mekong region. Uh, wh why do you think uh, this region has become the hotspot for hydropower development? I guess the very, very short answer is that there is a high potential for hydropower within the river basin, and I think that's been long recognized. At least since the 1950s, there have been expansive plans to build hydropower projects. We can say that hydropower really accelerated in the Mekong Basin since the 1990s, and now there are 12 large projects on the mainstream in China, and two mainstream projects in Laos, and then another 85 Uh, medium and large-scale projects on different uh, tributaries of the basin. But in terms of why are these projects mean built, there, there are different ways of thinking about it. So in China, um, the construction of hydropower upstream was largely related to a plan to send the electricity to the uh, eastern seaboard, where there was rapid industrialization in China at the time in the in the 1990s. And the idea was that sending electricity would then um, generate revenue that could be sent back to the inner area. But actually, nowadays in China, there's a surplus of electricity, um, so that kind of rationale doesn't exist anymore. In the lower basin, um, I mean, the, the general idea is that the hydropower is the claim is that hydropower is needed because of electricity demand, especially in Thailand and Vietnam, where there's the most industrialization. And, And then for where many of these projects are planned, which are primarily in Laos, um, 
it was kind of seen as a route to quick modernization through selling hydroelectricity to these neighboring countries. If we just go a little bit deeper and ask, well, why are these projects being built? Then we have to also recognize that building and operating hydropower projects are also big business. They can make profit. And nowadays, whereas many of the early projects in the 70s and 80s uh, were built by the state, nowadays it tends to be that it's either public-private partnerships, so a collaboration between the government and the, um, the private sector, or just private sector building these projects. And so whether we're talking about the construction industry or the finance industry like the banks or the owners of the projects, I would say a key driver nowadays of hydropower being constructed is also because it's a business interest. As you have mentioned that China has a lot of interest on hydropower development on Mekong River. Why China see Mekong River as a strategic point for their uh, interest? Um, so I think there's a range of reasons why China pays attention to what happens on the Mekong. Um, I think one is a broader level, well beyond hydropower, which is that China thinks about its security and stability at the borders. Um, so whether we're talking about um, issues of drug wildlife and human trafficking um, or domestic conflicts like are happening in Myanmar now, Um, you know, those types of security issues are something that are of concern to China. I think another geopolitical dimension is um, the kind of counterbalancing between other great powers. So countries like the US and Japan also have programs in mainland Southeast Asia, um, which certainly draws the attention of China towards um, the, perceived, the perceived impacts or the perceived balance of power in the region. Other considerations include the economic significance. So Actually, China is the first or second largest trading partner with all of the countries in the in the Mekong Basin. So we're, we're saying that things are already quite connected together and it's an economic interest for China. And maybe the, the, just the last thing that I think um, about what's happening in the region, the Mekong River is often in the newspapers. In other words, it becomes a flashpoint that can harm China's international reputation and also harm its uh, relationship with downstream countries, especially like the drought or the water control and so on. Finally, do you have any recommendation on how Mekong countries should do to ensure sustainable de development on Mekong River? Uh, okay, so yeah, this is an interesting question and a, a big and challenging one, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if, if I, th I would say if we're sort of focusing on the Mekong, yeah, um, There's a lot of water politics now going on. It's over the last three years since 2019. There's been intense drought and low flows on the river, and that has affected people's local livelihoods. It's affected the ecosystems, regions that are very important to local food security, like the Vietnam Delta. So the Delta in Vietnam, or Tonle Sap in Cambodia, but even you know, along the river, along the whole length of the river. Low flows affect people's livelihoods, especially fishing, but also agriculture. So, in terms of uh, sort of sustainable development, how the river is shared really matters. Um, there's been a lot of intense water politics, um, especially the question of what role China's upstream dams play in creating low flows downstream. Actually, 
a lot of the debates around the water politics and development in the basin take place in the absence of a clear picture of what's happening. So I think, I mean, whether we're talking about policies or what's discussed within the media, there needs to be a really clear picture of precisely what is happening in China and in Laos and in other places across the basin. And that partly relates to sharing more information. Um, so as a result of the very heated debates that have taken place over the last year, in October 2020, China agreed to start releasing um, all year round data from its the two lowest hydropower projects. And, and that's kind of a step in the right direction. But I think it's only a very first step. It doesn't really affect accountability. It just shares some information about what's happening. So I think probably one of the key priorities to move towards something that looks like more sustainable development in the basin is that there has to be more accountability of the way that projects are being operated across borders. From the beginning of human civilization in Mekong River Basin, the river has always been the generous mother to her children and has given all the necessary resources for the communities to grow and flourish up until the modern time. It is indeed the mother of millions of people in Mekong region. However, as major international conglomerates continue to grab large shares of resources for their large-scale investment, such as hydropower dams, monoculture plantations, and heavy industries, there are more and more intense conflicts between local communities that rely on the natural resources of Mekong River to survive and the transnational investors. We are going to delve deeper into the conflicts over the resources and the environmental impacts from the ongoing and upcoming development projects on Mekong River in the next episode of Unlock the Science next Saturday. We would like to thank our guest, Premrithi Dao Reung of Project Sevana Southeast Asia and Dr. Carl Middleton of Center for Social Development Studies, Jhulalongkorn University for the insights that give us greater understanding on the mighty Mekong River. See you again next Saturday. Have a nice day. Unlock the Science is edited and produced by Sinfa Tunsorawut with Lawan Jirasurade as the program host and co-producer. 